0: It is a privilege to be here this morning. We are, uh, we're thankful that you would allow us to come and share what God is doing in Chiquimula, Guatemala, and around the world. We're privileged to, to, uh, I'm privileged to have the opportunity to preach God's word this morning. I want you to know that the music was ministering to me, and I feel like, uh, I was already hearing from God's word as y'all sang the truth of God's word this morning, and so, again, today is Palm Sunday. I was, uh, I was excited when I saw the palm branches being thrown down, and, uh, as you know, this marks the beginning of Holy Week. This is a celebration of Christians around the world as we remember Jesus dying but rising again. And according to the Gospels, you know, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, as was mentioned earlier. But you need to know that people were cheering and welcoming him as, as their king, they said. But they thought he was going to free them from the oppression of Rome, right? And so, uh, but days later, Christ would die on the cross, Mm. This, they thought he was going to free them from the oppression of Rome, but he would die on the cross to free them from their sins. And so Palm Sunday makes no sense unless you understand that Jesus would die and pray the, pay the price for anybody to forgive them of their sins and that he did rise again. So that those who would repent of their sin... And believe in him could have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But hear me, there are billions of people today who have never heard this news. As we go to Guatemala and we say, what's your favorite story of the Bible? And they say, we don't know a story of the Bible, we've never had a Bible. This is not just true in Guatemala, it's worse in other places. And the truth is, it's probably true here in Birmingham, Alabama. And so this morning, hopefully you have your Bibles, and if you will, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6. And again, I want to make sure you know that we are not making much of ourselves today. We are transitioning now to God and His Word, where we will make much of Christ. We're only grateful that He allows us to be a part of His mission. And so every time that I stand to preach, I want to confess that I have no power in myself. I cannot save anyone There's someone in here today that has a situation that they need something changed, some circumstances they need changed. Christ has that power. I do not. Only Christ has the power to save and change lives. And so hear me this morning as missionaries, we are not some special class of Christians. God has created each of us and called each of us for the same purpose, to make an impact in the nations with the saving message of the gospel. God didn't give my family a secret call. I, I hope today that you might see this in Scripture. I believe that the Bible from cover to cover shows us that God created every one of you for the same purpose. I'm afraid that too many Christians look at missionaries, and we come in, and I appreciated what you said, Pastor, because sometimes I, too, get tired of what I see as a show. And We come to church as a show, and, uh, and we're, people come, and they hear the music, and they, they either like the preaching or they don't. And they came as a show. And sometimes I get frustrated with that, and so I'll tell you, if that's what you came for today, you are unlucky because I have no real ability. I don't sing, I don't dance, you're not going to be entertained. But Christians look at missionaries and they say, God didn't call me to do that, and to that I say, are you sure about that? Maybe he didn't call you to Guatemala, but he called you for the same purpose he did my family. From God's word, from the Lord Jesus' prayer today, I hope to show you that we're living for the same purpose. We were created for the same purpose. Maybe you're not living for it yet, but you were created for it. I have heard of some Christians who like to share their faith like this. They use two simple questions when meeting someone for the first time. They might say, what do you do for a living? And the person will answer, well, I'm a doctor or a teacher, mechanic, whatever they happen to do. The question works because we all do something. So it's easy to get people to talk about what they do for a living. But the second question sounds like this, what are you living for? And that's my question for us today, what are you living for? Usually there's a moment of silence when you ask this question, because people don't know how to answer that. But it's a good question for us to, just, to consider this morning, because just as we all do something, we, we do all live for something as well, even if we don't know what it is. I think this question is a good question for all of us to stop and ask ourselves this morning, What am I living for? And so maybe some of us live for money. Some of us live for some sort of fame, some sort of approval of others. Today, what are you living for and what is your purpose is the question. To help us answer that question, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. If you will, maybe stand with me in honor and reverence as we read the words of our God. Beginning in verse 9, it says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the opportunity to stand and preach your word. As I've already done, I confess I have no power. God, if something is to be done today, if something is to be changed, we know you must do it. And so I pray now that you will honor the reading and and the preaching of your word. God, in every way that I fail today, as I stand here to preach, I pray that your word will go forth in truth, Lord, to do what only it can do. I pray that you'll give us the faith to believe it and the boldness to obey it. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. All right, let's be seated. So I once read a story of a missionary named Robert Jaffrey. He came from a wealthy family. In fact, he was the heir to a large newspaper fortune in Toronto, Canada. When he was a young man, he had learned the Chinese language and was offered a large salary if he would go to work with the Standard Oil Company of New York. But he would have to forego his missionary career to work for them. He refuses their offer, so they double this salary offer. He refuses again, and so they send this message It says, Robert Jaffrey, at any cost. He sends back, Your salary is big, but your job's too small. He would spend 35 years as a missionary in China, and then when World War II breaks out, he and other missionaries are placed in a prison camp. He died there some two weeks before the war would end, and so I ask you, Did he waste his life? Or did he actually find and live for the very purpose he was created? I think some of us can get consumed with chasing and living for what the world calls success. I will tell you, my family, we would do this. We love to go on vacation, and we sometimes couldn't enjoy our vacation because we were planning for the next one. We get a car, and I'm not happy with it until I get some mud tires on it, and then maybe I need something else. We get a house, and I'm not that thrilled with it until maybe I get a swimming pool, but I'm going to need something else. You never finding contentment. You never find contentment. You never know peace if you haven't really found your purpose. Well, God isn't hiding his purpose from you this morning. In fact, he wrote it all in this book. And I think the Lord's Prayer, it's possibly the most beautiful prayer ever prayed, right? But, but I wonder, is it too often rushed through? And, and maybe we sometimes say it as just like a ritual. And, and instead of understanding it and embracing it and actually living for it. How many times have I prayed this prayer and never considered that maybe this was worth living for, what the Lord Jesus prays for? I believe by just rambling through the prayer, we miss our opportunity to not just understand prayer because he's teaching us a model prayer, but I believe there's more to it. Maybe we're missing the whole purpose of our life. So allow me to pose this question to you one more time before we dig in. What are you living for? And what makes life worth living? Why would God create me? Why would he save me? i got a favorite pastor friend in the States, he's actually on our board of directors of our mission board, and he would often ask this to people, he would say, why did God save you and leave you here? Would he maybe be a better God if he took you straight to heaven? Or did he have something for you to do? And then if there's something to do, what can you do today that you can't do in heaven? Because we're going to worship him forever, so what should we be living for? I think a good way to answer this question is to look for our purpose of life In the way Jesus prays, found right here in Jesus' prayer, I believe we have an insight, even a summary of Jesus' teaching on the life and purpose of all. And I want to repeat, all Christians, there is a basic biblical principle that we find later in the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, where he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But wouldn't you agree with me that what you pray for and what you pray about, that's also where your heart is? What you spend your time thinking on is probably what you most want, and what you want most is probably what you're actually praying for, and also what you think about, what your mind dwells on. This is what you will actually end up doing, and so this is what you live for. Also what you most want, again, is what you will do, and so what do we want? What are we living for? So then If what we want, if we want to understand the Lord's heart, what he wants most, the Lord's treasure, probably it would be found in his prayer. So first of all, I want you to look at this. The first thing that Jesus begins saying is, our Father. This, I would say, is a very direct and personal introduction to his prayer, right? Our Father. He's praying to God as Father, but when I thought about this, if there's anyone who could say our Father is Jesus, but he's telling us to pray like this. He invites you to pray this way. Maybe you've never thought about this, but as I studied this prayer, I had this thought, it occurred to me that our Father, have you ever thought of the fact that our Heavenly Father will be addressed as my Father by the children of God, From as we talked about earlier from Revelation chapter 7, Beginning around in verse 9, he will be addressed by our Father from someone from every tribe, every language, every people, and nation on earth. Even from the very beginning of this prayer, I find myself led to, to want to go to the nations because there are some that don't know him, but they're supposed to know him as our Father. This thought had occurred to me, and so I want you to keep this in mind as we move on and answer the question, what should we be living for So I want to look at the first three petitions of this prayer from the Lord Jesus. And first first of all, he says, Hallowed be your name. This speaks of worship. Hallowed be your name. So here is the purpose really revealed at the very beginning. The first petition that Jesus teaches us to pray is for the glory and worship of our Heavenly Father, saying, Hallowed be your name. This is a heartfelt prayer that God would be worshipped and adored. Probably my favorite passage of scripture, which has really guided our ministry since the beginning. It's guided our family, is found in Psalm 67. This is a prayer where the where the psalmist is praying, and he says, Bless us, O God. And in verse 2, he gives a purpose statement. If you know this psalm, he's saying, Bless us, O God. Be merciful to us. Cause your face to shine upon us. Verse 2. And my translation begins with the word that, but I think you'd be okay to put the word so in front of that. So bless us so that. So that. This is the purpose. So why is he asking for blessing? The psalmist says, bless us so that your ways may be known, so that your salvation may be known. Bless us so that all peoples will praise you. Bless us so God calls your face to shine upon us, so that all nations will know you. So that all people will praise you. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, I believe he's saying the same thing. The Lord's Prayer and his teaching, I believe, he says we're to pray starting on the individual level with each one of us. And going into our families for the worship and adoration of our God. He's the only one worthy of worship. Even though the Sanhedrin had declared that Jesus was worthy of death, I want you to hear me that every follower of Christ will one day join with the angels, as we read earlier, 10,000 times 10,000 in a song of praise, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So what is your purpose? What are you living for? Hallowed be your name. Can I tell you, our Lord Jesus is worthy of worship and praise from all people in all nations. Amen. And yet, do you know there are currently somewhere around 8 billion people in the world? And more than 3 billion of them remain unreached with the gospel. They don't know the saving message of the gospel. They've never been taught his ways. They've never had the opportunity to hear of his salvation. More than three billion people in the world have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus. And of those three billion, they are not worshiping, hallowing the name of the Lord Jesus, the only one worthy. And I know that some people would say, well, well they're, they're innocent. They've never heard the gospel. They'll be okay. They won't go to hell for not believing and worshiping in the God no one told them of. It's not their fault. Truly, they have a good excuse. I think Romans chapter 1 says something different. It says there are no innocent people. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can turn to Romans chapter 1 and look at verse 18. There you will see the apostle Paul saying, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Verse 19 says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It says they are without excuse because creation testifies there's a creator God. And I want you to know that they are without excuse in Chiquimula, Guatemala. They're without excuse in Birmingham, Alabama. In the mountains where we serve there, As we said, there are around 40 villages with little to no access to the gospel. Little to no believers. We walk in Elimona, they tell me, no, there are no believers here. Many of these people still make and worship idols. In fact, we had a three-day service on the soccer field beside the church that we serve in, in the village of Nerar, it should have been what we would typically call a home, homecoming service in the south, where we would have a good service and some gospel singing and a meal, but Pastor Raphael wanted a three-day revival. So that's what we did, and so as I finished preaching the last message, they come to me and say, this lady wants to see you, and so I go with the translator and I meet this lady. She says, I want to become a Christian, but my family, they're idol makers. I want to be a Christian, but I'm afraid, she says. Praise God, she made a decision to follow Christ that night, but she's still very afraid. We visited her just before we came to the States to invite her to the last service that we would be there. She sent her children, but she didn't come. But I want you to know she's just one of many in this same situation, worshiping, making, even selling idols. They're worshiping creation rather than their creator, the only one who deserves the glory. In Chiquimula, Guatemala, there in the municipality of Esquipulas. You would find the... Famous Catholic church where they have the black Jesus statue, and people come from all over the world to pray before this statue. We visited there just to walk through and see what it was like. And so we stand in line and we watch the people go up to the statue behind a glass case where they kneel before the statue and they pray to this graven image. They get up and walk out backwards, where they now can go out and buy some candles and and worship again and pray again, hoping to get their family out of of purgatory. We did not walk out backwards. We waited on them to, to leave in front of us. But on February 3rd of this year and every year is the pilgrimage that they make to, to come and worship this idol. where There was, I think, the count was 70,000 motorcycles that came through. This doesn't count buses and truckloads of people. Some 70,000 people come in to worship an idol. And I'm telling you, this is happening all over the world, not just in Guatemala, not just in Chiquimula, Guatemala. And they might not be worshiping the black Jesus statue, but they're not worshiping the creator, the only one who deserves worship. And so I ask you, what is our purpose? What are we living for? Jesus prays like this, hallowed be thy name. And so I say, maybe let's pray for that and live for that. That's a good purpose. The worship of our Lord by all people. Next, the Lord Jesus prays, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I think this is related very much to the first petition. Because every time another person hallows and worships the name of God, the kingdom grows. Each nation that hallows and worships God, the kingdom grows. And so Jesus prays, your kingdom come. And we pray, God, will you do that? And maybe allow us to be a part of what you're doing. Here I am, send me. Bless us so that your ways and your salvation will be known. Bless us so that all people will know you and praise you. This is our cry. And this is the way we say your kingdom come. But I ask you, so how far have we come in the building of God's kingdom? I think we've seen huge advances in Christianity. There's more places than ever have been reached. But church, there's still much to do. There's still much, much more to do. And we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come to the 6,500 unreached people groups in the world. And Can I also tell you there's still much work to do here? And so we pray, God, will your kingdom come in Birmingham, Alabama? Even in the places we wouldn't think that there are people that don't know the gospel, there are. We say, surely they've been to church. Surely they know the gospel. When God called our family to Chiquimula, Guatemala, as we said, we thought we were going to one village called Elimon, the village that we just recently made it to. But as you've seen in the video and as we've already shared, God opened so many more doors than what we thought we were going to. But even the original task, when we first got there and saw 40 unreached villages, we're going, God, can we ever do this in our lifetime? Can we ever make it to all of them? And to be honest, we know the truth of missions is that we will raise up nationals, that God will raise up nationals, and we will teach them and train them, and they will go with us, and they will go even without us. And that's the way it will happen. But we looked at this task, and we said, this is impossible. How can we even make a dent in such a, in such a huge need? Will we ever make it to 40 villages? And we found out it was even bigger than 40 villages. There are people not, not just in those mountains, but everywhere that don't know him. The bridge collapsed in Ellen Hinero, and, and we went there and we found out these people never had a Bible, live right down the road from us. The greatest, one of the greatest blessings we've seen since we've been there was to give a people their first Bible. We hand them the word of God and many can't read. But those who could stood and read them out loud. And then they asked us, will you teach us to study them? And as we shared, we we said, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. And they said, what? We don't know about this. But there was another, another situation very similar. I'll share. We visited a lady named Miss Ava. This lady is an elderly lady, and she just loves Amy and will hug Amy and she likes to put her heart her head on Amy's chest and she says she just wants to hear her heartbeat but we were having a pastor's conference at our home where our our sending church our home church pastor had come to teach some nationals and so we were very busy and one of our translators comes to me and he says we need to go visit Miss Ava we need to take her some food and I said we're busy let's go tomorrow and he says I think we need to go today I'll go myself and and I'll be back and I said no, it's all right. I'll just see if these pastors want to go with us. And so we did. We go to visit them and I'm I'm sharing with Miss Ava and we're praying, encourage her, give her some food, just checking on her. She's just, she's pretty sickly. There's in most of the places we go, there are no water. There's no water in the mountains of Comleton. They walk 30 minutes one way to get some water and carry it on their head. In the dump, there's no water. The people uh the people there, it's, they have to buy a tank if they can afford it, and someone comes and fills it up to what amounts for what amounts to ten dollars, but that doesn't seem like much to us, but $10 is a whole lot of money there. And so uh, water's a big deal. Well, Miss Ava has no clean water, so she's constantly sick. But We went to visit her and take her this food, and, and I, I'm talking with her, but one of the pastors with us, actually Pastor Raphael, he doesn't let the conversation in. He begins to share the gospel with her. And she says, no, I've never known Christ as my Savior. I've never trusted Him as Savior, but I want to do that. And so she gets saved that night. But... Behind her is a group of people who have come in just to harvest peanuts. They're not even from Chikimua. They're there to harvest peanuts. She doesn't even know them. She's just allowing them to camp out on her land. And so I look back, and some of the other pastors that are with us have gone back, and now they're talking to these families. But I walk up, and I see that these people are totally confused. They, they, they don't have any idea what these pastors are talking about. So I had some cards, you know, some little gospel tracts that we would give the children that Simply explain who is God, who is man, what has Jesus done for you, and I give these to them, and we begin to talk to them as the same we would children, and they say, "Thank you for telling us this. We've never heard this." I said, "You've never had a Bible? No. You've never been to church? No." Again, this is in the town of Chickimul, and so I'm telling you, there's even more than we know about. There's more work to be done, but I thank God that He's building His kingdom, and and. It's a blessing that he allows any of us to have any part in that. He doesn't need me, I know that. So many times, just like this, I've almost missed what God was doing, but I thank God he allows me to be a part of it. And so I pray, Lord, continue to call and use your church toward the work of increasing your kingdom. And Jesus teaches us to pray for the building of God's kingdom and the hallowing of his name, but still next, Jesus prays, your will be done. This is the prayer for God's will to be done. And just as I just said, we know that God will accomplish his will. It can't be stopped. The real question is, will we have any part in that? Will we have the blessing of being used in accomplishing what God is doing, both in Birmingham and around the world? What is God's will for my life, for your life? This is a common question in the church. I'm sure, Pastor, you've been asked this before. I just don't know what God's will is. And again, I tell you, he's not hiding it from you. His will is God's people obeying the command to make him known and living for him. Disciples making disciples, that's his will. It might look different in your life than mine, but that's his will for all of us. Praying as Jesus did and living it as well. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. These are the first three petitions. We see that the purpose of every life, every Christian life from every nation is to use our lives to pray for and pursue the worship of Christ. Worship starts on the individual level with me, with my family, in your church, and ultimately it will go to all nations. As Christ's purpose for our life is lived out by every Christian in every land, the gospel will go powerfully to the ends of the earth as he commanded it to be. I see this, the Lord's prayer, as a prayer and pursuit for the worship of Christ as my King. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father to accomplish God's purpose for all nations to worship him. Just as my favorite psalm, as the psalmist says, "Bless us, O God, cause your face to shine upon us, so that you may be known, so that all peoples will praise you." And I want you to know, I didn't just pick this passage of scripture to preach as some kind of idea to guilt the church into doing missions. I'm not just—I'm simply sharing with you what I think God has shared with me, and that's the only way I know to do it. I'm not that good of a preacher. to to pick one random verse out and and build a sermon off of it. I can only share with you what God is teaching me from his word and what he's used to change my life. Please believe me, this is not even really a mission sermon. I I wouldn't be pleased today if you walked out of here and said, this is a good mission sermon, and surely I wouldn't be if you walked out of here and said it was a bad mission sermon. But it's not really a mission sermon. This, This is about the reason every one of us was created. I'm saying that based on the authority of Scripture, that God has blessed you, He's blessed me, and He wants His greatness and His glory and His salvation and His mercy to be made made known in all nations. This is why He blessed you. I've often wondered, why, why did I grow up in the South where I can freely have a Bible, where I can go to a church that preaches the gospel? Why was I blessed with this? And there's people that never had a Bible, and I'm reminded to whom much is given, much will be required. He wants to be praised and worshiped by all people. And I believe this is the purpose we were created for. And it's the reason why we should be living. Jesus' prayer here, I believe, is evidence of what matters most. And this is what I think, if I summed it all up like this, I would say, if it's important enough for Jesus to pray for, it's probably important enough for me to use my life to live for it. I'm sure some of you would say, but this is crazy to think that all Christians were meant to impact the nation's for the glory of Christ. But if you say it's crazy, I'd say it's biblical. Listen, we we didn't go to Guatemala because we have special talent. I'm telling you, my only real ability is availability. Just because we were willing. As Christians here, we spend our lives and our resources chasing successful careers and big houses and nice cars and vacations and retirement. And I'm not saying those things are bad. Those are blessings from God as well. But the Bible does not show that as a picture of success. That's not the picture of success that I believe the Bible is painting because that's not the end. Those things are not the end. But it's exactly what our culture teaches us. And unfortunately, that's the idea that's been taken to other countries. And some of you, like me, you see the news and you see... The people from Guatemala and Honduras and Nicaragua. And, and, and we, we see people walking through Guatemala from Venezuela with signs on the front and back saying they're walking to the states. And what are they after? We know the truth is they're, they're trying to escape some extreme poverty and some violence and some gangs and some trafficking. That's, that's first of all true. And so I would say have a little compassion when you see these people. But also they're chasing the American dream that we're selling them. They're chasing what they see. And so when we go to the dump and and we meet these people and they say, You are crazy. Why did you come here? We 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 tell them we moved here and and they're laughing. They're they're making fun of us. And they're telling each other, these people are crazy. We're trying to get there and you came here. This is, you know, why would you do that? And it's our opportunity to share. Only Christ does that. It ain't us. It's not us. We didn't come here because we're good. Only Christ is doing that. And so I read another missionary book. I love to read old dead missionaries, and my family thinks it's funny. But uh, so I read a missionary book about William Borden, and so this is not your typical missionary hero story. He came to faith in Christ through the ministry of D.L. Moody, and then he went on a trip around the world, and, and something happened that no one expected. William Borden traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, and he felt a growing burden for the world's people. And so William Borden writes a letter to his parents and he informs them that he wants to spend the rest of his life as a missionary. And, and upon hearing this news, his, his friends begin to say this, he's throwing his life away to be a missionary because William Borden's family is very wealthy. And so when, he, when William Borden finishes his education, though, he boards a ship to China to serve as a missionary. But due to his passion for the Muslim people, he stops off in Egypt to try to learn the Arabic language while there in Egypt... He's 25 years old. He he contracts spinal meningitis, and within a month, he's dead. When the news of William Borden's death comes back to the United States, I'm told that the book that I read says, every major American newspaper reports on this. And as stated in his biography, it says, a wave of sorrow goes around the world because he gave up his fortune to be a missionary. William Borden walked away. From the family business, he, he walked away from his fortune to take the gospel to the nations. And most people regarded this as a tragedy. But however God took this tragedy and did something greater than William Borden ever could have done himself. Because tens of thousands of men and women read William Borden's biography and they forsake all. They leave everything they have and they give their lives to reach the nations with the gospel of Christ. But when, so when William Borden's parents get his Bible after his funeral... Just after he had rejected his fortune to to give his life as a missionary, he had wrote these words. He put no reserve in his Bible. His father had always told him in the beginning, you'll always have a job with the family business. You can always come back. But sometime later, his father wrote, wrote him and said, you can never work in the company again. So William Borden at that time wrote in his Bible, no retreat. He's not giving up. He's not coming back. They discovered in his Bible these words that were written shortly before he dies in Egypt. He wrote, no regret. And so again, I ask you the question, is this a wasted life? Is this a tragedy? Did William Borden waste his blessings? This is what people think about us when we move to the United States. And I'm telling you today, we don't consider it a sacrifice. So if you were to come to us and put your arm around us and say, something encouraging like you're so thankful that we would sacrifice to go there. It was more of a sacrifice for us to be here this morning because it was a sacrifice for us to leave Guatemala because we found our purpose in life what God has called us to do and and it's more of a sacrifice to come back here. But the people say to us, "You're wasting your blessing of being born in the United States. God allowed you to be born there, and why would you leave that to come here?" And we tell them, "No. We find our joy and our satisfaction in serving the Lord Jesus, on, even on our mission trips. Oscar will remember, on our and Amber will remember, you finish these mission trips and they, and they surround you and thank you for all the good you've done. And I used to try to share from the Gospel of John, chapter four, where, where Jesus is with the woman at the well, and the disciples are coming back, and they. They want to feed Jesus, right? They, they went to get Jesus some food, and Jesus says, I have meat you know not of. And they say, who fed Jesus? Of course, I'm paraphrasing here. But Jesus says, my, my, my meat, my satisfaction, my joy is to do the will of the Father, is what Jesus is saying. And, and that's what we have found. So don't feel sorry for us. And we're not wasting our blessing, and nor did William Borden. And this, I say People say, did William Borden waste his life? And I say, not from God's perspective. God used his life and death to call thousands of men and women to the nations with the message of the gospel. C.T. Studd, another famous missionary, <laughs> said it like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have found that to be true as well. There's nothing that we've ever given up here in the States. We miss our family Sometimes, yeah, I mean, we we go to the grocery store and wish we had some different varieties, but nothing that we left behind matters because it doesn't last forever. Only what's done for Christ lasts forever. So listen to me. One day, all of us will pass from life into the presence of God. What will we say on that day? But more importantly, what will the Lord Jesus say about us? I know some are thinking, we aren't called to Guatemala or any third world country. And I say true to that. It might not be true. Maybe you're not. But we're all called to know him and make him known. And that's what I'm saying today. Your purpose is the same as mine, whether it be in a school or a job or a business or your neighborhood or your own family. It's the same. You're called to know him and make him known. Wherever he places you, do whatever your part is to make Christ known to the nations. I want to tell you, we were at a church here recently where, where our... A Sunday school teacher that was Bodie's Sunday school teacher was in attendance of this service. She came to the, to the service we were doing, and as I, as I was preaching, I looked out at her, and I was reminded you might be teaching a Sunday school class, a small group, and God may be raising up a missionary, and you're a part of that. You might be praying for a missionary on the field today, and you don't know what your prayer is doing, but it's blessing them, it's strengthening them. And God answers a united prayer when we're praying for the same things. People say to me, what do you need most? What do you need most? And of course, you know missionaries have financial needs, but that's not what we need most. What we need most is the people who are united praying for the same thing that we are. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Chiquimula, Guatemala. That's what we need most. So some will go overseas and and some will give so others can go. But all of us should pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. And we do that while making him known with our own lives right wherever he has us. So may God help us to live for Christ today and every day. I'm going to pray and turn it back over to your pastor. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for for what you are doing around the world. God, I, think, I am thankful that you do have the power, that your word is alive and living and breathing and powerful, and you are working around the world, God. And I know you don't need us, but I pray that you will continue to use us. Lord, again, before these people, I commit to give my life and, and with my family to go wherever you send us, and you have sent us to Chiquimula, Guatemala, and we will do all we can to serve you there. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, God, will you do that work today? And then may we all give our lives to make you known wherever you have us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.